0: Andrew Talks to Chefs is an independent podcast. For current and past episodes, Andrew's blog, contact information, and more, please visit andrewtalkstochefs.com. To support us, please visit patreon.com slash andrewtalkstochefs. Enjoy
1: the show. Andrew Talks to Chefs is brought to you in part by Mies, the revolutionary new interactive recipe tool for professional chefs and cooks. Designers use Figma. Photographers use Photoshop. Now, finally, chefs have the right tool for recipe development, management, training, and evolution with Mies. Like Mies en Place, the term that inspired its name, Mies helps chefs and cooks be organized, ready, and efficient, save time and money, eliminate mistakes and redundancies, and guarantee consistency, whether in one restaurant or across a multi-unit company. Visit GetMez, that's G-E-T-M-E-E-Z.com forward slash Andrew to learn more and sign up for a free trial membership. Andrew Talks to Chefs is brought to you in part by San Pellegrino Sparkling Natural Mineral Water. For more than 120 years, San Pellegrino has been inspiring people to savor life and tasteful moments around the table. As chefs and restaurants have evolved worldwide, Sam Pellegrino has always been there to complement the food they serve, the moments they create, and to support them in both good and challenging times. Learn more at SanPellegrino.com. I'm Massimo Bottura.
0: This is Amanda Killing. This
1: is David Kinch. This is Mike Anthony. This is Huni Kim. This is Amanda Freitag. This is Richard Blaze. This is Paul Kahn. This is Kurt Stein. This is Stephen Harris.
0: This is Misty Robbins. And you're listening to Andrew Talks to Chefs.
1: I'm looking for a truffle pig.
2: Someone stole her. I don't understand.
1: Tell me you are.
2: You made the right choice being out there in the woods. There's nothing here for you anymore. I remember every meal I ever cooked. I remember every person I ever served. You live your life for them. And they don't even see you. We don't get a lot of things to really care about. Who has my pig?
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Andrew Talks to Chefs. I am your host, Andrew Friedman, and we are doing something a little different this week, although it is not unprecedented. We are bringing back a feature that became a regular, usually end-of-the-week Friday segment that we did when we were doing special reports in the spring and early summer of 2020. That was, of course, the days of the early lockdown surrounding the COVID pandemic in the United States. And we started doing a feature called Shelter on Plus Movie Reviews, and those were reviews that we did with me in collaboration with my friends, Allison and Matt Robicelli, who are the Baltimore-based chefs, writers, general bon vivants, and fellow movie lovers. We did about eight of those last year. Those of you who have been listening since that time, I'm sure will fondly remember them. And I felt like it was time to get Allison and Matt back on the show, the... Review this time is of the movie Pig, which if you are in the industry or even if you're not, has probably caught your attention. It came out about a month ago, uh, in th- well, a little more than a month ago in theaters, and then it started streaming, and we got together and reviewed it. That is what this week's episode is. I do have one or two quick housekeeping notes for all of you. Our sponsor, Mees is currently... Or, I should say, we are currently with Mies reevaluating and looking at what shape our promotional partnership should take on in the future. Uh, but I will tell you, we are no longer going to be doing the lineup news segment. There are a number of reasons for that. Um, one of them is it's just become a little too much for me to produce such a uh, complicated show every week on my own. I am a one man band here. I, I also feel like it's maybe a little better to have shorter shows. Uh, I, I tend to hear that from people generally about podcasts, although listeners to this show, I don't think have ever complained about the length, but I've been toying with the idea of maybe having, you know, sometimes an episode where it's our typical, traditional, long-form biographical interview, and then maybe shorter episodes that'll drop as circumstances in news dictate where maybe we have a guest on to talk in a shorter conversation about something that's going on in the news or to talk about a new restaurant or a new book. I'm going to be playing around with all of this in the coming weeks. And as I say, we are talking to Josh Sharkey, the founder uh, and the team at Mees about exactly uh, what we'll be doing with them in the future. But I do hope and expect that that relationship will continue, which is why you still hear their ad at the top of the show. Uh, I do want to say, before we get to this review or conversation about, is maybe a better way to put it, the movie Pig, which again, for those of you who don't know, stars Nicolas Cage as a former chef turned truffle hunter whose truffle pig is kidnapped. I don't consider that a spoiler. That is something you see at the uh, in all the trailers for the movie. Uh, but having said that, Uh, the movie is about his hunt for the pig, and we do, in this conversation, get into abundant and very revealing spoilers. So if you have not seen the movie or if learning about a lot of the revelations of the film will mar your experience of watching it, you should save this until after you watch it. I will say, though, that I really think you should watch it. The three of us love this movie. We get into whether or not this is actually, in its own sort of subtle, stealth, slightly bizarre way, one of the better movies ever made about chefs. Um, and I'll give you another spoiler. We we think it is. We think it is. Uh, it's kind of an amazing turn of events, because when the trailer debuted back in the late spring and early summer, people were mocking it. And I have to say, I include myself in that camp. I'm embarrassed by that now. Uh, but it's a lovely film. It's an intelligent film. It's a singular film and it features you know to to me Allison and Matt not really surprisingly uh quite a performance by Nicolas Cage of whom all three of us are Fans. So again, I do want to warn you, there are abundant spoilers in this conversation, uh, but I, I dare say it was great to have Allison and Matt back, and I think this is something we'll start doing again with some regularity. As always, our feature conversation here on Andrew Talks to Chefs is presented by Sam Pellegrino. Whether in life or on the plate, every chef has a story to tell. Sam Pellegrino proudly helps them share those stories in their restaurants and right here on Andrew Talks to Chefs. The perfect complement to great food and meaningful interactions, Sam Pellegrino is delighted to be a part of the conversation. Learn more at sanpellegrino.com. And with that, here is my conversation about the Nicolas Cage vehicle pig with my friends and co-critics, Allison and Matt Robicelli. Here you he
0: so pig
1: well wait before we get to pig can i just say we haven't talked in a while but i follow your tweets i mean that we started doing this like shelter and plus thing last last year in 2020 as are i guess you guys i am feeling this slight bit of dread that that title of you know of this series the shelter and plus it might be coming back around is that how you guys are feeling there it seems like you have you share my possible pessimism
2: what happened was we got so popular with a certain <laughs> side of the people of the shot no shot certain side just wants us to come so they haven't gotten the shot obviously, they're like people we want to stay in place and hear more
0: yes that's obviously it it's us and the horse parasite lobby <laughs> with shelter in place okay like i have like anxiety and stuff so last year when the whole shelter in place thing was happening And I've seen a lot of things, you know, having owned a business in New York City and having gone through so many things in my life, like, you know, uh, cancer and, and health problems and stuff like I, you keep seeing the system so fundamentally broken in so many ways and failing over and over and over again. And then, you know, Donald Trump became president and that just like somehow we survived that. And then when the pandemic happened, part of me was like, this is never going to end. Everything is going to fall apart right now. All the bad stuff is going to happen at the same time, just very quickly. And then I'll wake up and say, maybe I'm overreacting. Maybe that's not actually happening. So I'll tell myself, yeah, no, shelter in place, six weeks, six weeks. But in my heart, I knew we'd be here. And I think we might be here next year, too. I do fucking know. But I'm not surprised by anything.
2: She was right again.
0: I was right again. That's all she wants us
2: to say.
0: I just wish that all of this was like, okay. Do you remember that movie, The Day After Tomorrow?
1: I didn't see it, but yes. The
0: Day After Tomorrow in two thousand and two, I think this movie came out. I forgot who was playing the lead man, like Dennis Quaid or some bland ass white guy like that. And he is a scientist, but he's ruggedly good looking. And then he finds out that all the climate change is like happening at, like, going to happen like really soon. And he goes to the president, and he's like. Mr. President, we're going to have earthquakes and tidal waves and this and that because we made the planet angry. And the president's like, when is it gonna happen? And he's like, We have till the day after tomorrow. And then in the day after tomorrow comes, and then there's a tidal wave that like takes out New York City, and there's like secret volcanoes over under everything. And I don't know, sharks fly out of the water and fight octopus. It's been 20 years since I've seen this movie. But I remember thinking at the time, this movie is so stupid because there's no way everything would happen at the same time like that. But here we are and everything is actually happening at the same exact time.
1: That is, It does certainly feel that way.
0: We're done. We're not fucking done.
1: I've been in a state of... uh uh you know i've been semi-depressed on and off i mean it's it's too much to bear right now it's just been. i don't
0: think that's semi-depressed i think this is just the new baseline
1: well that's where the semi comes <laughs>
0: that's why i'm saying semi <laughs> okay i
2: have realized over the last two years that i grind my teeth and also clench my jaw every chance i can get
0: my my outlook on life is just like what are you gonna do you know that's it all this bullshit what are you gonna do because what are we going to do? And that is actually why I love this movie so much.
2: It was a really good movie.
1: Let's set it up for people who haven't heard. You guys, as as a sort of custom, you just watched it, right? It's very fresh in your mind. Yes, we yes. watch it
0: right before we
1: record this. And I watched it uh, two days ago. We were going to record two days ago. And this is also sort of our tradition. We ended up moving it uh, by a couple of days. And um, I rewatched it today because, to be honest... I enjoyed it a lot. I I, I I needed to see it again to get my thoughts together. It's kind of a singular movie, but let's just let's just get both of you know whatever order you two want to go in. Just what's your first? What's your first take?
2: Well, before we even watched the movie, the consensus of us talking about it was going to be what was the name of that movie?
0: I don't know what you're talking about,
2: John Wick. Yeah, it was going to okay. be like it was going to be like John Wick, like okay. you know, with Nicolas Cage and about a pig.
0: I remember when I first heard that, like okay, oddly. This uh, week is my two year anniversary at the takeout. And I remember, like, one of the first stories I had there was the news that Nicolas Cage was going to be making a movie about a truffle hunter and a pig. I, at the time, thought it was going to be, like, something John Wickish. Then it came out this summer, and I heard that it was actually good, and it was, like, a good smart people movie, not, like, good, like, Fury Road was good, you know, like it was just I couldn't get my I didn't know what kind of movie it was going to be. And then so when my kids ask me, they're like, what are we watching? I'm like, I think it's like John Wick. But then I started watching it. I would go, I, I don't know what this is. And then through the entire movie, I still wasn't sure what I was watching. And now that it's over, I'm still I still cannot tell you what kind of movie it was that I watched. But it was wonderful. But it was weird. And that's, I think, what's great about a Nick Cage film, like a true Nick Cage film.
2: It has more questions at the end that uh, you need to have answered.
0: It's just a gift. It's the movie that will, you know, the movie keeps going, even though, you know, you've left the theater or you've, you've stopped paying for the rental. It just, it's a, you it keeps returning on investments in so many ways. You almost kind of don't want to talk about it if people haven't seen it yet.
1: Yeah, I was thinking about when we were gonna, and I'll say something in the intro, but for people who fast forwarded over the intro, we're gonna have to talk spoilers. I mean, you have to. Because the whole the whole movie is just, it's, I mean, I, I think it's, you know, it, well, you had that initial feeling that it was kind of John Wickish ish uh, The trailer for this movie, although they didn't show much action because there really isn't much action to show, but it did kind of, uh, I think, create, probably not by accident, the expectation that it was, I mean, the setup is very similar to John Wick. I mean, in John Wick, I, they kill his dog. In this movie, they, they kidnap his his pig, and and Nick Cage, much like uh, Keanu Reeves, is largely known as an action star at this point. I think it's kind of a stealth character study. I mean, it's, it's a character study masquerading as a revenge picture.
2: Yeah. Or you go a totally different way, and it could be like, Hey, John Favreau, you did that. Who's John
0: Favreau? He, John Favreau. I know John Favreau, but what's he? Why is he, he did the chef
2: movie and Nicolas Cage is like, I'm going to do this a ha, chef. Okay, movie.
0: this has, I think we all assumed it was going to be some crazy revenge pick because the last few movies Nick Cage has done have been crazy fucking movies. Like he did Mandy, he did that uh, Five Nights of Freddy's ripoff, uh, like Wally's Wonderland or something, where he you know uh, goes into the haunted arcade and. You know, there's like machine guns and bullets and all sorts of blood and stuff. Nick Cage also, you know, is an Oscar winner. He did Moonstruck. He did Raising Arizona. Like Nick Cage is like a grab bag. Like you just don't know what you're going to get from him. And that's what I love about it. Like he knows how to act really well, but he also has knows how to act very badly. And he gives you whatever he's feeling that day. And it doesn't necessarily, you know, I, maybe he just doesn't want to show up and be part of the movie you know, <laughs> and he will, he will go into a movie and just be like, I'm not going to do a good job on this one. But this one he tried and he did a really great job.
1: Well, I also think, I'd love to know what you guys think about this. I mean, as you said, he is an Oscar winner. That's not necessarily a barometer of of uh, quality, but, you know, he did win the Oscar for Leaving Las Vegas. he He's given a lot of really good performances over the years. I don't know if people remember this, but there was a moment, God, maybe even... 20 years ago now, where Sean Penn called him out because he felt like he had thrown his talent away. And, you know, on all like movies like Con Air and all this stuff that, you know, Face Off and all this stuff he did right after he won the Oscar. I divide actors up into two categories. I, I think there are actors who primarily are there to 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 act right. Their goal is to, you know, pull off the character. That's their primary goal. And then I think there are actors, and, and some of these actors are also brilliant actors who their primary thing is they, perf- they give a performance, right? Um, uh, to me, this is the difference between Al Pacino and Robert De Niro, right? Robert De Niro to me is first and foremost an actor. And Al Pacino to me is an equally great actor, but who, and I think it's because Pacino was more of a stage guy. You know, Pacino, to me, always wants to give a performance. You know, it's it's very showy. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it absolutely does. That. Ooh, ah,
1: but even when he was, before he started doing that stuff, you go back and you look at a movie like Dog Day Afternoon or Justice for All, and he's, he's, he's. always yeah. been... Um, Exciting to watch, you know, whereas De Niro can be very inwardly directed but still be fascinating. To me, Nick Cage has always been in the performance category. What I think was so interesting about this movie is, first of all, he looks older than he's certainly ever allowed himself to look on screen. And it is a very quiet performance. I mean, this is a very controlled, disciplined, um, quiet Nicolas Cage. And to me... So much of this performance is just in in, in in the way he walks and carries himself and in his eyes and in, in some of the costume decisions. You know, like we see him in Long John's when he's, you know, living in his cabin and then he's just in these work clothes for the whole movie.
0: He the shower. Yeah. And he wore, he had the stripes of blood on his face and it reminded me so much of Braveheart. You know, the, the William Wallace iconic, like blue over his face or like, the Stripes, like, you know, like an iconic uh, Darth Maul character or something from like Mad Max. And, he re- and I remember somebody, was it like the chef who asked him if he wanted to clean up or something or have a shower? And he was mm-hmm. like, no, leave it. You know, it was, Cage has a way of, okay, first off, in a, in a Nick Cage movie, I think you're always aware that you're watching Nick Cage. It's very hard at this point to like lose yourself into like oh this is this is a different man. We all know it's Nick Cage and we're kind of there for him in the same way, you know. You look at a Nick Cage film almost the same way you'd look at a director's like over where it's somehow he's in control of everything in a way. And there's like an a, it's always like he's tamping down something inside. You know, and I got that so much from this performance. Like there is something crazy or maniacal or devastating or something underneath the surface. And I don't know what it is, but it is loud. It is always loud coming in from Nick Cage. And he is kind of like his performances are like how how much he's going to like open the valve. You know, is it going to come out in spurts? Is it going to be tightly wound and, and full of pressure? Is it? going to be a slow steady stream like you don't know what necessarily is happening in there but it's always just violent um and in this one there like what really stuck out to me was like the was it like a a fight club like what the hell was that
2: oh yeah i didn't get that was weird i
0: don't think I, you know it, it i think the movie works if you consider it like if you think of it like a dream in a way because none of the things that, uh, the emotional stuff, you know, that's easy, almost easier to dissect. That's stuff like we could talk about, like the subjects of grief and loss and healing. But as a linear sort of narrative, it, it's kind of like one of those dreams where you're like, well, I was in this restaurant, but it wasn't a restaurant. It was also an old hotel, but it was hidden and it was underground. And then there was mm-hmm. a homeless guy there and a guy punched me in the face. And then I saw a pig and like... It just doesn't make any sense, but it somehow I'm watching it.
1: Yeah, there's a f- I mean again, we're we're engaging in spoilers here. There there is this weird
2: fight club for restaurant people. They beat up homeless people.
1: And it's completely unexplained.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean like after I saw the scene I was like, wait, was he on the other end of this at one point? Yeah. Because you found out he was a chef. And I was like, whoa, was but- he one beating on homeless people?
1: Well, yeah, I think that he says that that guy, Edgar, has been running a fight club for chefs for 30 years or something like that.
0: Okay. Like, I was still confused because he comes into the city and then he goes into, like, a tent. And I wasn't sure where this, like, tent was, where this guy is. And he's like, I lost my pig, as if this guy is going to know what happened to his pig and – I just didn't well, he know. He said how, he might know. He might know, but that one guy. And what was he? Was he in the tent in a in a city or? What, where was he? Who was that guy? What was happening?
1: Well, that's the same guy who ran the. So fight So he's club. in a
0: tent, but then sometimes he's in a fight club in an old hotel hidden under a
1: park. Yeah, it's not. It's I. You know, you get the feeling there was probably some, and I don't know why, because the movie's only like barely ninety minutes, but I. You get the feeling there must have been a line or two somewhere that explain this stuff a little better. It's it, that is very, it's weird. And, and I mean, to be honest, the, the kind of sleuthing that happens in this movie is very perfunctory, right? It's not like they do anything clever to, to solve, you know, to get from like point A to point B to point C that stuff is all obvious. And it's pretty lazy screenwriting, honestly. Again, I think it's all just an excuse for these scenes and these like revelations about this guy's past, which they kind of, you know, kind of let out in like little dribs and drabs.
0: I was thought that it might be lazy screenwriting too. Cause there's like a lot of predictable tropes and cliches, even in the dialogue. But I kind of thought like it, it was just so visually beautiful. The cinematography was incredible. And I was wondering maybe that some of that is really intentional because nothing about this movie really feels realistic. The idea of like a weird chef underground fight club, the idea of, you know, people like nefariously dealing in truffles the way that they are like his that guy's father who... You know, is less of a specialty foods dealer and more like a drug, uh, like a drug lord or something. Like
1: right, and the notion that that guy's become essentially like a multi million, you know, a, a million m- millionaires several times over selling truffles in Portland. You know, it's like it, it. You're right. It's absurd.
0: It's it's all absurd, and and it's like absurd to the Holy point where shit. it can't be real. Like or when he sent. Um, uh, the other guy, I, I don't remember anybody's name, but the other guy uh, who drove the Camaro, he sends him-
1: Amir, Amir. Yes,
0: Amir. He sent him to like a cemetery or something to get a wine that some woman this named Nicholas Jezebel- His
2: wife was in there.
0: Yes. But, but his... that
2: was the wine that Mamir's parents ate at that dinner they loved so much.
0: Yes, but he sent him to some woman's place who also, who had his dead wife- and the wine, and the whole place was covered in fake animal heads, like modernist animal heads?
2: No, they were flowers.
0: No, they looked like it animal heads. It was a heads.
2: crematorium.
0: So wait, why was the wine there then? And what was, because her name was Jezebel?
2: That woman, right, the woman
1: he goes to see is Jezebel. I think his late, I think Nick Cage's late wife is named Lori.
0: Yes. Lori, she was and, married there.
2: Yeah, and then. And he, that's why she said I've saved the plot next to it.
0: Yeah, I know that part, but the then rest- how
2: did you not know it was a crematorium?
0: I knew the crematorium, but I was talking about the design of everything.
2: But there was flowers. Or it wasn't animal heads.
0: Okay, well, I saw like spooky animal heads in the shadows, so maybe that's kind of cool that it looked like both things. Because I was, no, definitely, I just
2: think you're blind.
0: Uh, that could that could also very well be true. Um,
2: it was a very dark movie, too.
0: Oh, and the the scene inside the bakery, like the way it was shot, that was just that was freaking stunning. And the pacing and the pacing of the lines and the way it was directed, it wasn't very natural. Like nobody actually talks like people do in this movie. Um... But it, it was just, there was something about it that I think was, it feels really perfect for, for this moment. And I know it was filmed and it was announced in 2019. This was like long before we had any idea there was going to be a pandemic. And it's, it's essentially, it's a, it's a movie about grief, but it's also a movie that really, I think, feels like I do all the time. Like I, I don't I don't remember the last time I've identified with a character so much in a movie.
1: But what do you mean by that? Because I know I mean I I would say in some ways that's true of me. But I don't I don't know that we're we mean the same things. Yeah. Like what re, what resonated with you? Uh,
0: well, there first I think all of us have at least made one joke about moving deep into the woods where no one can find us at some point over the past year and a half. Um, but. Again, that's where this movie starts. Nick Cage is a man who is living completely off the grid with almost no human contact in the woods, far away from society, where there's no news, no nothing, and there's no people. He can only have a relationship with his pig, and the pig doesn't do stupid things like take horse to wormer to, you know, instead of a vaccine. So that i that I immediately connected with. Then,
2: but if your pig does have
0: worms, you should use to worm. That pig, is it. You never take your pig's medication. That's like the first rule of pet ownership or pig ownership. Um, so then he goes back into the city. And the city is, the way it's shot, it feels so obscene and scary, like, like nefarious and uh, dystopian uh, compared to where – he started in this, in this dirty cabin in the middle of the woods. Uh, there's just nothing appealing about the city at all. And then every conversation he had, like when they go to this fancy restaurant and they, the the server comes out with some ridiculous dish that has like a 20 minute explanation. And it really hit home like the entire, like, like how meaningless all of it was, you know, like they're in this fancy restaurant you know, and worried about like prized local pine cone foam and talking about like but the I mean, wine was twenty minutes that's, away.
2: That's where that's where food is gone.
0: That's where And
2: like, you know, if you really think start thinking about it afterwards, it comes and brings it to your mind that it's it's all bull. It's it's all crap. It's like, you know, it's it's all Instagram clout like the people who are Taking pictures of that piece well, no, you saw on the street that was that the, was
0: many years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah,
2: no, no, no. What, but, but, but it's not no, a comment it, it, on it's, that. It's it is the fact that what he says at the end, where he's like, "I've remembered every dish I've cooked and for every customer." Well, and you know what? It is. It's just creating memories with food, but you know, food that you're actually going to care about that tasted good.
0: But that's not. Well, okay. It
2: could have been just a hot dog.
0: Okay. Well, that's that's a different thing that I was trying to get at. Like, when he was doing, like, this ostentatious food, like, in Portland – and maybe it felt one way when they were filming it, but now watching that scene thinking like, wow, Lake Tahoe just got evacuated for being on fire or like, you know, last year Portland was covered in a cloud of smoke and, you know, think about all the quote unquote, you know, the Antifa riots and all the, the social unrest that have happened there. And you're watching these two people talk about like a, a truffle trade in this pristinely white restaurant i mean it was just the way it was lit was so beautiful and this kind of dirty grotesque nick cage sitting in the middle of it and then he gives that little monologue to the the chef about how none of it matters and he's like i came here every day and i remember everything i've ever cooked and i remember every person and i did it for what i gave it all for what and none of these people ever cared about you. And I felt that so hard because all
1: see this. I think that scene is the scene, right? To me, that scene is the heart of the movie. Yeah. And I'm uh, one of the things I think that you re- it's to me, it's a scene about purity. Mm-hmm. It's a scene about being true to yourself. And he, you know, and this guy is clearly like the toast of the town that the chef that they visit, but Nick cage remembers that he worked for him and he, Nick cage had fired him back when Nick cage was a chef. And at the time the guy wanted to open a pub, right? And he even had like some scotch bonnet egg dish that was going to be his signature dish. And when, when Nick Cage reminds him of all this, the guy almost like cracks up. I mean, cracks up like mentally, like the guy almost has a little mini breakdown uh, because he, he realizes how empty his success is, you know? And, and I think, I mean, Nick Cage is someone who like he's lost his wife. He had some revelation that, you know, his customers never really cared about him. Um, and I love that monologue where he says none of this is real. You're not real. Nobody cares about you. Um, and and, you know, that he's off in the woods now. And, you know, the you know, the movie's broken up into two parts. Right. Um, and the and the first one is just part one, Rustic Mushroom Tart. Um, and that's what he cooks at the beginning for himself yeah. and the pig. Um, you know, you see him and the pig hunting for truffles and he actually talks to the pig. You know, he's like, that's a good one and good girl. And when that guy Amir comes to, to pick up the truffles that Nicolas Cage and the pig have found, Nicolas Cage doesn't say a single word to the, to the human, right? The guy tries to engage him in conversation and Nick Cage literally doesn't say a word to him. Like he's... Yep he's just completely in touch with kind of his animal self you know living in nature with an with another animal right not even a human um and and that's you know on, on an animal level he had found yeah. i i mean i think this is he had found happiness you know in this bizarre situation i mean I've, anyone who's listening to this who hasn't seen the movie this all probably sounds yeah. insane it
2: sounds like a Nicolas cage movie
0: It's insane, but at the same time, like it's illuminating. Like, you know, it's not a, you know, easy screenwriting point A, point B thing. It's a journey of self discovery. And like, that's exactly, you hit it right there when you said that he didn't even talk to the guy. You know, isn't that kind of the dream now sometimes to be in the woods with no phone, no radio, no contact to the news, and not to speak to any other people, almost to like cut yourself off from. All of
1: it? No, 100%. And also, you know, know, I don't know how you guys feel, you know, how you feel looking back on, you know, your time when you lived in New York. But, you know, uh, during the last year when, you know, like you said, Allison, a few minutes ago, you know, we've all had this moment you know, I do think about events I've been at, you know, or, or things I've been a part of over my career. And a lot of it does seem kind of ridiculous, if I'm honest, you know, Uh, you know, a lot of it is just driven by marketing. And, you know, it's, it's all a lot of it's very phony, you know, and I think something I think a lot of us have let a lot of the kind of bullshit fall away over the last year and a half, and I don't think that's bad. And I do that to me yeah. is where this movie resonated with me. You know, I loved watching him, um uh you know, just absolutely um, disarm this guy. You know, Nick Cage is sitting there, blood caked, you know, in his work clothes, totally reducing this super successful chef, you know, to a shell.
0: I think if that scene. If we had watched this pre-pandemic, again, when it was like announced in 2019, that scene would have read so dickish to the audience. They would have just been like, oh, he's a a bitter old man who needs to like face his wife's death and, you know, stop being like this to other people. But now it's just like every word he said, it was true. And I know I've had conversations like he like that one with people uh, about hospitality years ago. And people want to listen to it. People, you know, and, and they don't need to because l- the very end of that monologue, essentially, he said that all of this is a lie, that everything is false, that we live in and everything is is ridiculous. And it is like the the entire trappings of our society and who we are. It's just all like imaginary constructs, you know, the things that we put value on are entirely like they're all man-made, you know, like money is a theoretical concept. Um, You know, these are all just sort of like the trappings of human existence and he's freed himself from it. And I, when I get really sad, I like looking at my cats and thinking they have no idea what the fuck is going on. You know, none of my cats, and it doesn't affect them. Like they wake up and they eat and they sleep and they're loved. And all the animals are like that, you know, aside from the ones that are burning to death in the wildfires or being, you know, kill, being killed in the oceans or, uh, you know, wherever else animals are being, you know, pushed to extinction. They don't fucking care because they they don't have a society. They just wake up every day and go, this is life. This is existence. This is what that was us and our little woodland friends do in the forest. And there's something very beautiful and freeing about that because these things that we're having, like that we had taken from us, a lot of them we had to let go. Maybe, you know, maybe they weren't all the best things for us. Maybe, you know, this is our entire society is really freaking wasteful. You know, I mean, everything that we've done is, you know, killed the planet and it's still super problematic, like fancy You know, dinners like that were like, okay, great. That wine came from like 20 miles away, but that didn't really change anything, you know? I mean, you cook for a whole bunch of rich people who don't know your name, will never know you, and never know who you care, like are. And we could talk inside baseball and in the food media and be like, oh, that's a big chef. We're like, oh, this guy is like such hot shit. But outside of us, nobody fucking cares. Yeah, nobody gets Nobody that. fucking cares. None of the people that you cook for care about you after they leave. It's a transactional relationship.
2: Half of the events that I've been to and in New York, where it was just like... I just felt that we were just dancing for people.
0: It is. It's and
2: it was just like I don't want to dance for you. I hate I, it. I, I hated going to those events, all of them. I it, mean, well,
1: the ultimate one for me was I remember when when uh, Josh Ozersky, who I don't, you know, already I encounter people who don't know that name, but Josh was a, a major food writer and um, who died tragically young several years ago, and um, you know there was a there was a, a memorial event for him held at the Cecil in up in Harlem. And I went to this event and and somebody came to and we were, I was talking to someone and they said to me um did you know Josh and I said well yeah I did he was you know we were very good friends I said what well, did you did you not know him and and this person said to me no but I just felt like I should you know this I should come to this event yeah. you know like exactly. like it was a restaurant opening yeah. you know and That's the kind of moment I think of when I was when I was watching this movie. You know, I just found that the most utterly depressing exchange I'd like ever had. And
0: there's just like when you're when you're the chef that everybody is writing about and interviewing and stuff. Like it's just so much of it is just a character because you know what what can they give you like 800 words um, at a time? Like no one will ever see you know, the, the whole totality of your existence. Like how much can you give of, give away of yourself in a tweet or a photo? And you can say, oh, like I'm this awesome chef because, you know, this chef liked my Instagram post and I got like 2,000 likes, but nobody fucking cares. Like nobody like, everybody just scrolls past you.
2: Oh, my God. I just thought and, of something that sounds and, really sad. You know, but,
0: like, hold on. When I used to say these things, people were like, oh, you know, that's depressing. But it's true. Look,
2: there's a, like, when people knew us before we even met, they put us together because we were chefs. Yeah. Because I guess they just didn't want to talk to us anymore exactly. about food. Exactly. So it was just like, that's, you know, oh, well, we don't really care about what they do. So they could just talk to each other.
0: Exactly. I mean,
2: that's really sad.
0: But it's because this is like, this is what our life is. This is what we were into. And it's important to us as our life. But for most people, it's just food. It's something they used to like sustain themselves. The people who went to that chef's restaurant in the movie, they didn't care about the food. They want to impress business clients or dates or like, Use like look like a big shot. It's very rarely just about the food for them. You know, I mean, yeah, sure. You have those moments where you create these incredible memories like he did for Amir's parents. Um, and, you know, those are beautiful things. Those are those are beautiful, wonderful things. And they're the reason that they, you want to wake up and get up any morning and do what you do, because for all the futility and stupidness of life, we still all of us make it a little bit more bearable it's not about changing it's not we none of us have some grand incredible purpose none of us are really all that important we just find little ways to make it more bearable and i think his problem and and our problem when we were younger and the problem many chefs have is that they don't they they don't want to be honest with themselves about that part where they're invisible. And I, we all know it. <laughs> everybody, Nobody wants to be yeah, honest but about ev- that. Everybody knows it. I mean, you're not going to tell yourself like, oh, this is the first time I've heard of it if I'm a chef. You fucking knew it the entire time, but you don't like talking about it. But when you face that horrible thing that you think is just going to be so devastating, it ends up liberating you, liberating you in a lot of ways. It makes you kind of really put what you are in perspective and what you do in perspective. And, you know, he thought he was cooking for somebody else. His life was about giving to other people and creating stuff. But he, as the chef, he was just only a a, a small part of it. You know, the world around him, the pig, the truffles, that's, he was just a vessel for them to come through. So without the grandeur, without this name. And and they put a lot of emphasis on his name and who he was, who he was uh, in the movie. And at the end, he's just a guy without his pig uh, in a cabin. And I mean, God, it was really just such a good movie. He didn't want to. He didn't care. He didn't care. He didn't want to. And what, like, why? Like, Why does he want to wash the things? What, like, he smells like his pig. Why would he want to wash the smell of the thing he loves off of Well, and also he doesn't need to,
1: he doesn't care about making other people comfortable, you know, like it paid off to me when they show up in that trendy restaurant for lunch, you know, and he's, up until then, yeah, he looked a little out of place everywhere, but to show up in that restaurant dressed like that, yeah, was amazing to me. And then at the end, at the very end, he does, right? He finally does when he's all by himself.
0: The very last thing he does is he's after everything is said and done and he goes back to his home is he takes the water and he washes all the blood and all the smell of the pig and and everything off of his body. And he listens to his wife's voice and they don't. And you know what else I really love is that they don't really get too much into the wife Mm -hmm. because it's not important you know, like who she was, how she died, all that stuff. Just like, you know, the whole point, I think, of the whole movie was just like nothing's really that fucking important. important. Um, and that, I'm going to use that to bring us back to the, one of my favorite chunks of the movie that explains so much to me. He is in the car with Amir talking about the city. And he starts talking about how humans... First came to that part of Oregon 10,000 years ago.
1: Oh, yeah. This is another great. Yeah, go ahead. In 2015,
0: this is what it reminded me of. He starts talking about something called the Cascadia Superquake and how, you know, he's like, there's a quake coming and we're 200 years overdue for it. And it actually kind of made me laugh because in 2015, the New Yorker wrote an article about this. I remember this so freaking vividly because it just blew up the internet in 2015. The idea of go Google it. Cascadia super There is a theory that every 200, 250 years or so, and they have geological evidence to prove this. There is a massive earthquake that happens there. Um, I, I won't, des- I won't describe it on the podcast because I need visual guides and stuff, but if it is what they think it's going to be, it's going to be really fucking bad. And in 2015, again, a year before Trump, uh, back in the days when we thought, oh, these things are so ridiculous, they could never happen. Uh, It just kind of lit up Twitter and everyone's like, oh, we can't live in Seattle or Portland because it was seriously, it's going to be a day after tomorrow, end of the world sort of thing. So in this movie, uh, he starts telling Amir, about he never mentions that like this new york article or the name cascadia superquake uh i just it it reminded me of it and it's catastrophic uh the bridges are going to collapse hundreds of thousands of people are going to die uh he describes a tidal wave the size of a 10-story building uh and it's like it just made me think like oh god this is a chef who read that fucking New Yorker article? And
2: then moved to the woods. And then
0: moved to the woods. And it was, I know it was that New Yorker article. Because I remember at the time, I we were talking about maybe we'll move to the Pacific Northwest, and I freaked the fuck out. And I was like, I am never moving there because we are going to die in Superquake. <laughs> um and now we live in a world where we could, if Superquake came out on uh Twitter today, everybody would be like, yep, I see this happening. I absolutely believe it. And there's probably people in the Pacific Northwest right now, like counting the days till super quake comes to kill them all. Uh, and really, I cannot believe this movie was written and greenlit before all of this happened. Cause it's the perfect movie for I this agree. time.
1: I agree. So before we wrap up, you guys, you know, I've never worked in a kitchen, um, Good for you. but never did, <laughs> but um what about this character as a chef character? I mean, you know, I've always, I've said this, I'm sure, in a couple of the, you know, reviews we did last year. But, you know, I've always felt like, you know, it's 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 been this huge elusive quest, you know, for like a, a really terrific... Movie. I mean, the first thing we ever did together when we first review we did was that terrible Bradley Cooper movie, Burnt. Oh, he did watch that that movie. There's things in this movie that aren't that different from, like, you know, at one point in this movie, he cooks a meal that brings Adam Arkin, who I thought was actually terrific in this movie, um, to tears, right? Now, that would be laughable in a lot of other movies. It's not laughable in this movie. Do we, I think this is one of the best chef characters we've ever had in a movie. Do you agree with that?
0: I'll say it's the best one. Like we've talked about trying to find the ultimate chef movie. It's this one.
2: Well, what about the chef movie about the Italian people in Canada?
0: Oh, oh, Little Italy? That was a great movie. We should watch that one again. The one with Danny Aiello and Andrea Martin and the the all well, the lamps. Yeah, we re- we reviewed it. Oh, I know. I know. I can review that every week with you if you want to do this show. That's, okay, Pig is number one. Little Italy is number two. All the other movies were number four through 88. Uh, yeah, this, this movie, like... We
2: still haven't seen Good Burger.
0: We have a lot of movies we were going to do for this, but then for a while we were like, oh, maybe things will get better. But then when things get worse again. Andrew calls us, and he's like, "Yeah, everything's going to shit again."
1: Time to review
2: a movie.
0: Yeah, like you know, get the Robicelli's on the phone. And normally, I think we are we are a lot. Uh, you That's, know,
2: this is how I judge how the world is getting. If I don't hear from you, <laughs> things are pretty good. I have
1: to. I have to say, this all started. Did you? I don't know if Allison. Did you say something on Twitter? Somehow we ended up texting about the fact that this movie was getting good reviews and-
0: Opaque? No. Yeah. At, you no. you may have talked to somebody else and thought, oh, movies, I have to reach out to the Robichellis again. Because no, 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 no.
1: I texted you and I said something like, who knew?
0: If it was a bad movie or if it was a good movie- I still would have been down to watch it and talk for six hours about it because it's a Nicolas Cage movie. That's Well, that was the text
1: exchange we had.
0: And you went on and on about
1: Nicolas Cage. And then that's how this started.
0: A good Nick Cage movie and a bad Nick Cage movie are both virtuous in their own special way. It's really like, again, it's a Nick Cage cinematic universe where everything has its own merits uh, and it will be studied for years and years. I mean, how many other actors could you think like, Could you see like an NYU film course just talking about like the movies of Nick Cage? What the fuck was all this about? You know?
2: But honestly, if you're going to pick movies and rate them by chefs, like the top two chef's movies would be this one, Pig, then Ratatouille.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. I would agree with that. That
0: was that, that scene with the crying Ratatouille was the only other movie that pulled it off. And not only did they pull it off, it was almost like they invented it. Like, in Ratatouille, like, that's a scene that shouldn't have worked with a human being in it, you know? Like, that was a scene that I thought you could have only pulled off in a cartoon like that. And somehow Nick Cage pulled it off here, and it didn't seem stupid. Like, by the end, you know, you're kind of jaded against fine dining and really human beings as a concept by the end of it. So to have that scene, you know, that that crying scene, it could have felt really cheesy, but it wasn't about the food. It wasn't about whatever he cooked or how good it was or how interesting it was. It was the fact that he was able to manipulate his senses like that. And, and that's something beautiful about food or like smell or a certain song. Like you can have that kind of scent, like, like just the way like a rain will smell on a certain day and it will put you back into a time and place, like a time machine, like you're there.
1: Well, they say that the the sense of, of all the senses, the sense of smell is the one that is the most powerful trigger of memory.
0: Yeah. And without it, like, and, you know, so much of taste is smell. And the fact that he was able to just, you know, and he knew it right from the beginning, like the second he's like, I'm going to get my pig back. And he knew that was what to do. It was almost like a very sadistic sort of like, almost like a torture scene. But instead of making somebody feel physical pain, he manipulated him to feel emotional pain. Then he finds out, like, some... I don't even understand how those people managed to accidentally kill a pig. How do you accidentally kill a pig?
2: They were junkies. They didn't know how to get a pig.
0: How do you... that? A pig is sturdy, though. A pig well, is if it was, sturdy. if
2: it was older and it had, like, a heart condition...
0: Oh, I don't think the pig had an undiagnosed heart That thing's heart made condition. of bacon. Yes, but, uh, I don't know. It was kind of like... Well, the one the one thing that
2: really caught me that I really enjoyed was the scene where they're in the diner right after like they're back up in the town where his cabin is.
1: You mean at the end?
2: Yeah, at the end. You know, it was more of like you know, all right, this story's over. This is the last part of this. You know, I'll see you Thursday. Blah blah blah. You know, go back to the normal teen, like you know, but I don't have my pig anymore because he found out. You know, it died. They're in a diner and he goes, "What kind of pie you got?" And she's like. Oh, we don't make pie here.
1: Yeah, we don't do pie. Yeah.
2: And it was like, it was like, what diner doesn't That's do what you took
0: from- <laughs> They had a brownie. There's plenty of diners. No, that but
2: if you all- had a brownie
0: from a diner, they suck. Okay, wait, here's have a- Have you had a hey, chocolate wait, wait. chip cookie from a diner? They're Shush. horrible. No, that's the one diner we went to. Not all diners. Some diners do it very well. Not a lot, but some very well. I don't know. When
2: I think of diner, I think of Greek
0: I, in New York. Yes. You know, one, like, and those were all, eh. Um, I didn't- Pay attention to what he was eating in that scene. But now that I'm remembering.
2: He had a brownie and a cup of diner yes,
0: coffee. the scene in the house, he was eating meat. And for a man that has such a deep relationship with a pig, I wonder what his relationship is to eating meat. You know, like how, how close are you to something that you love it to decide whether or not it's food. And he, he admitted that the pig, he could find the truffles without the pig because the trees were doing all the work. So, you know, maybe there's something in that too. The fact that the pig, you know, everybody thought the pig's job was to hunt truffles, but it, it was wasn't. just a companion. It was just a companion. The pig, even the pig's job was, was not necessarily it was, necessary. It
2: was, it was his Wilson.
0: The, the pig existed, the pig existed to exist and to love, just like every single other character in that movie. Maybe we have a big, big reason. Maybe we don't need fame. Maybe we don't need names or four stars or fancy reviews or articles written about us or Camaros or giant mansions built on illicit truffle money or any of that. Don't, Maybe we, all, yeah. the,
2: all the pig is is the pig knows unconditional love
0: that's it it's just be the because it needs to
2: know where it's meals coming from
0: it's just no you're here and that's it we're here and we are just the, the the trees tell us where to go and we just exist and we just find happiness in what we have i really love this movie i really fucking love this movie yeah well i'm
1: telling you watch it a second time as i did it just gets better it just gets better
0: and i hate truffles yeah, no, I love. Them. Yes, you do. But now no, maybe I, I, you start liking them now.
2: No, I just don't like truffle.
0: All right. Well, if Nick Cage, Cage can't convert you, then no one can.
1: All right. Well, I'm so glad we did this. Um, thank you. Thank you for watching it. Thanks for coming back on.
0: Thank you, Andrew. And Anytime. we will, yeah, text me whenever. We love you. Try to keep your chin up.
1: And that is our show for today. My thanks again to Allison and Matt Robicelli for always being willing to come on the show and talk movies with me. I really enjoy it, you guys. Thanks for being my friends and occasional collaborators. Andrew Talks to Chefs is produced by Table 12 Productions. The show is written, booked, edited, mixed, and hosted by me, Andrew Friedman, if you are interested in supporting us. The best way to do that is by telling a friend about the show, posting about us on social media or leaving a rating or especially a review at Apple Podcasts, which does help people find the show. I would also love to hear from anybody with any feedback about the show. Do you like shorter formats? Do you prefer longer formats? Any guests you'd like to hear on the show? Reach out to me, Andrew at com, and of course, we would love if you followed the show on instagram the handle there is at chef podcast my thanks as always to after school special for our music please check out their album double barrel single entendre on itunes and we will be back soon with another episode of andrew talks to chefs thank you so much for listening